Plastic crack is a thing. I totally am in on the plastic crack. I think plastic crack is a perfect description. Because once you get addicted, you got to have your next fix. Where's the next big thing? I mean, I guess I kind of resonate with the plastic crack analogy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I'm just a user. I'm a heavy user, I guess. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it is plastic crack. Once you get that one piece, you're hooked. <laughs> you know what? There is no misdiagnosing plastic crack. Welcome to Plastic Chats, the special interviews of the Plastic Crack documentary series. Hi, my name is Guillermo Olivo and I would like to welcome you to these very special episodes of Plastic Chats when we are finally stepping out of, sort of like a stepping out of this crazy pandemic and, and we get to do this face-to-face uh, -face and not remotely, especially this, this one. I'm, I'm beyond glad that I'm able to do this interview face-to-face -face and not remotely because we have with us today, thank you so much, Tom Cook, lead animator, filmation. I mean, if I start reading the list, it's just mind-blowing. Hitcliff, Scooby-Doo, Thunder, The Barbarian, Blackstar, we'll, we'll talk about it, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it. How are you? I'm fine, yeah. How do you like the heat in Florida? Oh, I know. I'm tired of the heat already. It's only been <laughs> only been a couple hours. Well, only been a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you you love you love Florida, but before <laughs> you know, before we go and talk about the most powerful men in the universe, let's talk about Super Friends. I was I was heavily addicted to that series. Well, and the way this all got started is I was a bus driver in Los Angeles. And I took a class in college in comic book art to learn more about how do you make comic books. And the teacher worked at Hanna-Barbera. So he recommended me for a class because he liked my superhero drawings. And he said, we're working on a show called Super Friends and we need people to draw superheroes. We have a lot of people who draw Scooby-Doo and Fred and Barney. But we need people to draw superheroes and I really like your work. I could get you into a class to learn some basic animation skills and eventually they might hire you out of the class. And I was in the class for three weeks and they hired me. Wow. Specifically like to work on Super Friends. So that was the first show I really worked on. Well, it's funny because for my generation, for example, I was watching the Justice League, the Zack Snyder Justice League, and mm -hmm. at the end, they, uh, um, Wonder Woman, if my memory serves me well, and, and Batman walks into this new building that they're saying like, I'm gonna need a chair here, and I go, I know, that's a Hall of Justice, but <laughs> my Hall of Justice is the one that you drew. Right, right. <laughs> how, how does it feel after so many years to keep seeing this type of reaction from people based it's, on your work? It's just amazing to me, but I understand it because when I was a kid, that's really when Saturday morning cartoons first started in 1960. And so all those shows that I grew up with Rocky and Bullwinkle and Johnny Quest and, and Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear, Quick Draw McGraw. I would have loved to have been able to go to a con and meet those guys, you know. So I understand why they want to meet me, but it's really weird that it's me. Right. You know You're on saying? the other side of the road. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, see, you know, later on in, in life, when I worked at Hanna-Barbera, I got to meet some of these people like Tex Avery, uh, Mel Blanc. Wow. And some of the people that I just loved as a kid, 
And so that was a real bonus of working in the business. Bob Clampett, I mean, he created Bugs Bunny. You know, I got to meet Bob Clampett. I mean, it was just amazing. But now there's a lot of people saying, wow, I just met Tom Cruise. Well, and that's the thing that <laughs> blows your mind is that, because uh, you don't put yourself with those other people, but you kind of are because you're the next generation. Correct. And uh, like I said, it's just weird that it's being me, but. Right. I, there's there's one aspect that I want to point out that usually with animations or, or artists in general, you, you get to see a pattern or, or a style. And, and eventually you get like this newer cartoons like a Steven Universe and then they go and do another cartoon and you go, oh, that must, that must be the same people. However, right. if I read some of the work that you did, Heathcliff, Scooby-Doo, the Smurfs, Fat Albert, Filmation's Ghostbuster, which is a jewel. Yeah. The Jetson, you can barely tell that it's the same person. How do you achieve that? Well, it's they give us a, a model sheet pack that shows the characters in all different angles. And there's like maybe 60 animators. Well, we're all artists, so we just follow what the model sheet shows us. And really, I could watch an episode and I could tell you when an animator, a different animator took over, because you could see slight differences, but normal people wouldn't be able to notice that. No, it, were you able to input some of your fine print into it? Like well, I had signature. One of the things was the character Orko from He-Man. Mm -hmm. He had like really round eyes, and I thought they should be more almond shaped because it looked nicer when he did eye blinks and stuff like that. So anytime I did Orko, I gave him more oval eyes. And the directors would say, you know, his eyes aren't exactly right. And I said, looks a lot better, doesn't it? Oh, wow. So that's a way to... And eventually, yeah, I think they finally got to, to I was acceptable to do it more almond shape. Where if you got an oval, because uh, the circle is just always a circle, but with an oval, it could get thinner and larger depending on which direction you're looking at the character. Right. And it helps to give him some character, you know. And anytime he blinked, you could kind of squish the the almond shape and make it like that. Instead, of the round one just didn't look as good. So that's some of the things that you do is kind of throw your own little takes on stuff. And hopefully the directors will be okay with it. And hopefully they'll transcend and then get to have, that's your Orko, right? Yes, exactly. That's very, that's very cool. Yeah. Speaking about the most powerful man in the universe, there's, there's a story that says, they basically gave you guys the toys and said, come up with the story. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, what they did is, uh, you know, they were trying to sell the, the toys to a company to make the toys. Mattel couldn't get anybody, or, or the company that had the toys couldn't get anybody to make them. So they said, well, we're going to put a comic book in, you know, to try to help sell it. They, oh, not just a figure, but you're getting a little comic book with a story. And then the people said, well, these are for little kids. Kids can't read. And, and then the guy said, well, we're going to do a TV special. Well, it's a complete lie. They weren't going to do a TV. But he's just trying to sell so bad. So they finally, the guy said, well, that sounds like a good idea. So they came to Filmation and said, could you do a, like an hour special of He-Man? And our, our uh, studio head said, well, can we do a full series? And they said, well, that sounds good too. So they ended up doing a full series. 
And instead of like a normal series was 13 episodes, because they were shown on only Saturday mornings. With He-Man, it was going to be shown Monday through Friday, five days a week. So we had to do 65 episodes for one season. So in two seasons, that's 130 episodes. That's 10 years of a normal series that we had to do in two years. Of a normal process. Yeah, and so, and, so and that, we worked That's a great point. Off. I mean, there, there's two points I would love to, to pick on, but there's one that you just mentioned is the speed. Because there's this misconception that, I wouldn't say lazy, but there's people that say, well, they were reusing the sales back right. and forth without not being lazy at all. Well, and what happened in 1981 is most of the other studios closed their doors and sent the work over to Japan and Korea because it was cheaper to do. Well, Filmation, Lou Scheimer said, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep it here in the U.S. and we're just going to have to find a way to cut our budgets. And so every episode had to have 25% of it reused animation. So that's why we did all these runs. So each character had their own run. So that way, if they're running this direction, everybody could run that direction. If they ran just straight across, everybody could do that. So anytime they had to get somewhere, that took up some time and we didn't have to worry about drawing everything for that sequence. And so 25% of the show, and that saved us. Otherwise, we're out of business. You know, we couldn't afford to do the fully thing animated. Not only that, it was made in America. It wasn't right. overseas. Right, so it was all done, you know, in, our, the animation in America, there's a little bit more weight and volume to it. You look at a lot of the Japanese stuff, it's, it's moving, but as they're running, it doesn't look like there's any weight. So there's no, there's no weight, you said? Yeah, there's no weight to the characters, even though they're animating, it doesn't look like they're really weigh anything, you know, they're just kind of tiptoeing on top of stuff. How did it feel after it became a mega success to walk into a toy store and, and get to see this guy. Yeah, it was it was great because when I was a when I was a kid we had toys but there wasn't anything that really was articulated like this. And uh, and plus my toys were like maybe this big. They were army men right. stuff like that. And they're just in a pose and that's it. So when these came out it was like holy smoke this thing really looks cool. And of course the kids loved it, and I think they sold a billion dollars worth of toys in two years. Nobody's ever sold a billion dollars worth of toys in two years. But you can see that this character has a lot more stuff on him than we drew, because it, everything you draw, it's extra time. All these things on his belt, and these red things, so we simplified it. And uh, that made it a little bit easier to draw, like his he has these straps on his boots. Well, we didn't put straps. It's way too much work. <laughs> so they simplified it and it made it much easier to draw. Which was your, um, out of all the <coughs> characters in the Motu universe, which was, was your favorite? Well, I think Orko. One of the reasons was because he didn't have legs, so he just floated everywhere. I didn't have to draw him walking. <laughs> but I also liked He-Man or Skeletor. They were always fun to work on. They had the better lines, you know, and it was, they always had more action to do. And uh, so any of those three characters were really fun to do. The girls were the most difficult because you got to make them look pretty, otherwise they look terrible. 
When was the last time that you actually worked on a He-Man or She-Ra mm -hmm. animation? Well, that was probably 84, 85. Because we started He-Man in 82, and it was on the air in 83. So we had about a year to, to get it ready. Then after two years of He-Man, we started on She-Ra. And they were pretty much right after one another. So yeah, I'd say maybe 85. I brought, I brought these from my collection <laughs> with the purpose of just seeing your reaction on camera when you get to have this in your hands again. Ah, yes. Yeah, well, these are the original drawings. And you can see there's blue pencil. And this is done in blue because the Xerox machine, when they Xerox this onto a cell, doesn't pick up blue. So you could write notes anywhere. And this is like basically saying if there's a little, little X, it just means that should be painted black. So these are the numbers of the colors that these are supposed to be painted, because that's not normally on her amulet. So they give you an example so that the painters know what to paint that. And then they Xeroxed it onto a cell. Which we have here which is like this one here. And I'm just looking to see if it's mine, but it's not. But, I couldn't uh, find one yeah, that, it's, that, it's that so had your hard. name on it. Look, I've got a few uh, of my own, but it was like really hard to find just because there's millions of them. Right. But, uh, you know, like you said, they all, we all Actually, drew pretty much one, the same, you know? If you do this, you can see the... Oh yeah, the different layer for his, his arms. But the reason of bringing these... See, he, he right. moved his arms, so we separated those, and that way he could stand the same and just move and his arms. And then just move the arms around. And that saved on uh, money and stuff and time as well. But the reason why I, brought the, uh, I, I had this with me today is I, I wanted to see how does it feel to be reunited with something that 1984, you said, yeah. was the last time you were... Yeah, I mean, that's a long time ago. What's that, 20, 35 years 35 ago? 35 years ago. How, did, how does it feel? It feels great because it's still, people collected them. You know, it's, it's really nice when people come up and they've got the old collectibles and they want me to sign it, you know, for them. And uh, so I do a lot of that with people bringing up old cells or drawings or commissions. They want a commission of, of He-Man, so I'll do something for them. And, uh, you know, now most of the people are in their 40s that were little teeny kids, and they're just ripe for a really good He-Man reunion, you know. I wish we could do something, but like the old show, instead of these ones that keep doing it, they keep changing it, and uh, it doesn't satisfy the fans that are really the hardcore fans. What do you think of the newer shows? I haven't seen the new one. Okay. Uh, I've heard mixed reviews. Yeah a little mixed on the negative side, but uh, it's just nice to at least have something new out there. But you've got a billion fans around the world. Why wouldn't you do pretty much the same thing, just better stories instead of for that five-year-old kid, let's do it for the 45-year-old and just have really good stories with the same basic characters that we did. I think it would be a big hit. I agree. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And to close it up, and I, I really appreciate your time. Hey, no There's problem. this animator, young animator, like to close out all the ideas, watching this camera right now, 
and, and he's probably getting inspired by what you're saying and say, how can I make a living out of this? That's always the toughest point because, uh, like I said, in 81, all of the work was sent overseas, except for Filmation, and now Filmation closed in 89. So there really aren't any houses in the U.S. that do the animation here. It's all done in the Philippines or Vietnam or Thailand. So it's really difficult to get in the animation part of it. But if you were to get into like storyboarding or layout, uh, we still do that here in the U.S. And I'm sure that's pretty much based in L.A. So you'd have to go to L.A. and and usually just go in and, and start out as a, a receptionist even, you know, and get to know the people. And then, and then once you know the people, then you can go, hey, look at this. And now they'll look at it and they like you, so they'll listen to you and maybe you'll be able to get into a, you know, apprentice job or something like that. Uh, I know a lot of people that did that back in the day, that they were just runners taking one scene to another building and eventually they showed the directors their work and they liked it and they got a job. Wow. So, Great advice though. Yeah. Thank you. My best advice would be to go to law school and become a lawyer because then you'll have a job for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Mr. Hey, no Cook. Problem. It's really an honor to talk. I, I grew up watching your shows, all of them. So it's really an honor to to complete my my journey, sitting down and talking to the guy who inspired me in Very some nice. way to do what I do for a living. I nowadays. love it. I mean, this it's one of the big bonuses of doing comic cons is. Uh, you know, nobody ever comes up and said, "Boy, I hated that show." Right. <laughs> right. They're always there to see opposite, it. So. It's really cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank and you. Don't forget, click on the links below. We have Plastic Crag. It's on Amazon and Vimeo. All the information is out there. The rest of the series is also fine. You can find it down here. Um, and once again, thank you so much, Mr. Thank Cook. You. It's, been, it's been an honor. My pleasure. I, I, hope, I hope you enjoy the rest of the heat throughout uh, the weekend. Yeah, I'm sure I will. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Thank you. For more super cool interviews like this one, please check out our Plastic Chat special interviews available on Vimeo On Demand. And if you haven't seen our Plastic Crack documentary, please go to Amazon Video or Vimeo On Demand and give it a try. You'll find all the links in the description below. Thanks for tuning in.